Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a chair for disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. Well, hello again. Good to see you. I'm going to put this microphone back because I don't need two microphones. So, but that's okay. How are you all doing? Good. So um, one of the things that, um, that's been really kind of fun. Oh, this is the center. Here we go. Uh, uh, one of the things that's been really fun is, is people will come up to me and they'll, they'll, you know, we've been here since last August and they'll go, hey, how do you like Lewiston? Like, how, how is it? And, and honestly, we love it here. Um, I could make a joke and stuff like that. But no, we really love being in Lewiston. Uh, our family's really happy. We've been plugged in. We have really good friends. Uh, it's clean. It's conservative. It's really pretty. Uh, but more importantly, for me at least, I, I really like the smaller town feel. Um, now, here's something you may not know about me. Uh, I absolutely hate driving in big cities. I just hate it. Which is funny because I, I kind of grew up in and around big cities for most of my life. But I really do. I really hate driving in big cities like San Diego or LA or Washington, D.C. Because I get overwhelmed like really easily on the freeways or driving in the roads. Like I feel like the buildings are like closing in on me. Like you can't see the sky. And so you're just like, what is going on? And then like the streets all of a sudden just somehow turn into one-way streets. And then now all of a sudden I'm in the middle lane when I didn't want to be. And so then I got to change lanes. And then the drivers behind me, they know where they're going and they're in a hurry. And they're mad that this guy who doesn't know where he's going, who is now also going under the speed limit because I don't want to miss a, a, a turn signal. I don't want to, you know, get a ticket and, you know, red lights are coming up. And so I want to be alert. And then, I, you know, I, so I'm like, okay, that's fine. And so cars are whizzing past me. And then I finally see where I need to go. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to turn here and everything will be fine. So I start to turn and then I see like it says like one way. And I'm like, oh no. So I, I got to go past that. And I'm like, okay, so I'm like looking for the, the next turn, but then I miss it. And all of a sudden I'm merging on the freeway somehow. And now I'm like leaving the city. And I'm like, this is like, I hate driving in big cities. It happens all the time. Can, can you guys relate to this? Okay. Now, if you can't relate to that uh, because you're a better driver than, than the rest of us, you know, may, maybe you relate to it, maybe not in the driving sense, but maybe this describes your approach to life. Maybe you, you have been or are currently heading down a road and, and maybe you're, you're just not as diligent or as wise as you could have been. And so you missed like your exit. And then you said, okay, that's okay. I'm going to get the next one. And then you made just another simple mistake which then led to another mistake. And then pretty soon you're in a place where you thought you'd never be. Like, I, I think it's safe to say that we've all been there, right? That's, that's part of the human experience. Now, our, our sermon this, this morning, it's titled, Don't Miss Your Exit. And in our passage today, we're going to examine the very well-known story of Peter's denials of Jesus. We're going to look and kept him on a path toward ruin. Like, he continually missed his exit. And so hopefully we'll learn some things along the way, help us change course in our lives and, and to exit from the road that we shouldn't be on and then turn back to God. Sound good? Okay, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. Brenton's opinions on the Bible, they don't need to hear all of those things. They need to hear from you. And so God, I pray that you would illuminate your word. God, that your truth would be spoken here this morning as we um, study your word, as we ponder who you are. And God, I pray that we would be changed for the better 
for the glory of God. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, okay, I got it. This is my OCD. So is this leaning? Is it bugging anybody else? Raise your hand if it's bugging you. Okay, I got to fix it, but it makes a lot of... This is not going well. What if I did like this? That's better? It looks okay. Okay. Goodness gracious. All right. Now we can study the Bible. All right. (laughs) We're going to be in Luke chapter 22, verses 54 to 62. So we'll start there. It'll be on the screens behind me, but let's follow along. (laughs) All right. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. Now, right around this time, it's early morning. They've seized Jesus, and now they're bringing him to the high priest. Now, John's gospel says that they first brought him to Annas. I think I'm saying that right. I might not be. That's okay. Uh, And he was the rightful high priest at the time, but he was deposed by the Roman procurator. And then his son-in-law, Caiaphas, was given the office. But some Jews kind of saw him as still like the legal, like, no, you were the original dude. So you're that rightful high priest, and so that's why they, they brought him likely to, um, that's why John says they brought Jesus to Annas first. Uh, now, I want to jump to John's gospel, because his gospel seems to paint a little bit better, a broader picture of what's going on, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I want, right now, I want you to move over in your Bibles, just a, a couple books over, to John chapter 18, okay? John 18, and for those of you who are like me and like it on the screen, it'll be there. John 18, we're going to start in verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door, and so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Kind of a weird way to saying it, but uh, she says, are you not one of this man's disciples? He said, I am not. Now the servant and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. So as the story goes, they brought Jesus to Annas' home, which was protocol. Uh, you know, oftentimes this is a normal thing. Uh, they brought, uh, you know, they used the high priest's home for official business. And so they, they brought Jesus there and, and Peter's with this other disciple. And we're not entirely sure who this was. There's a lot of conjecture on, on you know, biblical scholars that are much smarter than me who have their claim, but I'm not going to go into that because I don't really know. Um, but whoever this guy was, um, he, he, him and Peter wanted to see the, uh, the proceedings over. They wanted to see what was going on with Jesus. And so, um, but all of this was being done behind closed doors. And so luckily this, this disciple that we don't know who it was, um, kind of knew the high priest and knew all the servants. So he had an inn. And so he was able to get like this ringside seat kind of thing. And and he's walking in and he looks back and sees that his buddy is not with him anymore because he was stopped at the door by the bouncer. And so he goes back and he's like, no, 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 Peter's with me. And so then they allow Peter in. And as Peter's walking in, he's walking through this door, this servant woman or servant who is a woman, um, who's attending the door, sees Peter and recognizes him and says, hey, wait wait a second. Aren't, Aren't you one of the guys with Jesus? And, and Peter, probably feeling like they just spotted his fake idea at a nightclub, he just flat out denies it. Like, he's like, no, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Now, now, we've talked about Peter for some time now, and we know that this, you know, the, the character of Peter is he's very brash, and he acts without thinking. And so what could be happening is that as this bad night is developing, 
Peter has what's called a FOMO. Do you guys know what FOMO is? Raise your hand if you have no idea what I'm talking about. Oh, <laughs> the hands just went up. Okay, FOMO is the fear of missing out. Okay, so Peter just doesn't want to miss out on like the biggest and most important thing that's, that's ever happened in his life. Almost like an involuntary response because that seems to fit Peter's character to, to just speak without thinking. And so, of course, in this situation, he, he fibs a little bit. And perhaps in his mind, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. You know, but this is, this is a lowly woman servant after all. You know, a person who, mind you, in the, you know, and besides, it was just a little white lie. You know, it's no big deal. But in truth, this was the start of the road for Peter. It, it brought him to a place where he didn't belong. Because Peter wasn't invited there, nor was he welcome. But because of that one little teeny tiny justifiable sin... Peter found himself surrounded by the high priest's officers and servants who are actually the opposing side's troops. And it perfectly set him up for his next failure. And here we, we can almost relate to Peter or at least like sympathize with him, right? I mean, because, you know, doesn't the Bible say to act shrewdly? I mean, come on, who wouldn't fib just a little bit to the, to the bouncer to gain access to the trial of the millennia, right? Like we can understand that. But this is the type of thinking that led Peter down the wrong road. You know, you know what we're really good at as people? We're, I'm really good at this, but I, I'm sure I'm not alone. But we're really good at justifying our own actions. Like we can easily overlook or even give ourselves permission to sin for a good cause. Like, you know, especially when we convince ourselves that it's really for someone's good. You know, like a white lie. But a white lie, even if it's for someone's benefit, it's still a lie. You know, what, what about saying that you're going to do something and then not following through? Even if you have a really good excuse or you had really good intentions, that's still deceit. We're also really good at excusing sin that benefits us or makes us feel good about ourselves. Like making really, really funny but offensive jokes with our buddies. But, but it's okay, no one else was around, no one heard it, so it's okay. Or what about that one show we love to watch? But we could never let anyone really know that we watch it because, you know, it's not that good of a show. But that, but that doesn't really stop us from turning it on late at night when no one else is watching. Or what about that one movie that we really love? But then when we talk about it, we have to add clarifiers like, it's a great movie, but don't watch it around your kids. Or, you know, it only has just a, just a little bit of nudity. It's not that big of a deal. Or it's just got, it's got really bad language, but it's okay. You know, church, let's, let's just be real and stop and ask ourselves, are, are there minor, minor in quotation marks, sins that we allow ourselves to commit? Are there any teeny tiny sins that we have given ourselves a free pass for and we've justified and overlooked? See, the thing that, that Peter didn't understand and what we need to get right is this. There are no minor sins. Because whose standards should we live by? Ours or God's? God's. And, and we learned this last week. God hates sin. That's all sin. Big or small. And as followers of Christ, as, as people who are wanting to look like Jesus and be images of Jesus, we should too. So what's our exit on, on this road? Or if we're heading down the wrong road, what's that exit we need to take? How do we get off and turn back to God? And here's the first exit. 
We flee from even the appearance of sin. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6, 11, and then um, verse 14. But as for you, O man of God, flee from these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness. All right, let's jump back into the story. Luke twenty-two fifty-eight, And it starts with four little words. Uh, it starts with, and a little later. Uh, now, I'm going to pause briefly here because Luke's narrative, as I said before, kind of paraphrases this whole story and almost just entirely focuses on Peter's denial of Christ. And so he leaves out just a little bit of context. And I think he does that possibly because he's just more interested in, in highlighting Peter's story arc, you know, his inability to walk the talk and rather than just writing in every little detail. And so thankfully, if we go to Matthew and John, we can kind of supplement and try to get the full story. And, and so they fill in the gaps of, of what Luke says. And a little later, reading their gospels, it tells us that Jesus is taken to the high priest's house and he's given this unfair trial. He's wrongly convicted. He's accused of blasphemy. He's slapped, he's mocked, and he's now bound again and now being sent off. And as they're taking Jesus out with, with Peter presumably still following at a safe distance because he doesn't want to get too close, Someone else saw him, going back to the narrative, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. This is the second denial. And like I said before, we now can start to see the problem of that first sin. If Peter had just been honest at the door, or more realistically just walked away when, when they kind of cornered him, he'd have not been in that situation for a second time but here he is. And now in the face of adversity, surrounded by this enemy crowd, this person comes up and accuses Peter of being a friend of Jesus. Now again, put yourself in, and you start to just feel unwelcome in this crowd. Because you start to remember, I'm with the criminal that they're taking away. I'm the outsider. If it were me, I, I'd be really hyper aware of every gaze in my direction. Like, they know and I'd start to get super uneasy and start to make my exit. And then this person comes up in front of the crowd and accuses you of being just like that criminal they're taking away. What would you feel? I, me personally, I would be really scared. And so I think it's likely that among other things, Peter's probably thinking, you know, if they can do that to Jesus, what would they do to me? And so when he's accused a second time, he denies Jesus a second time. It got him in the door and then around the people at the campfire, which led to this moment, which led him now down to the road to the next sin. You see, the reality is when we give sin a free pass in our lives and we leave it unchecked and brush it off as no big deal, it becomes easier and easier and easier to keep on sinning. Sin tends to have this snowball effect. Now, I know we're in the banana belt here, and so it doesn't snow quite that much, but most of us have, have made a snowman in our lives, right? Once or twice? Okay, thank you. And, and how, do you, how do you make it? Well, you start with a little snowball, you, you know, crumple it up, and then you roll it in the snow, and it just builds up, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and pretty soon you can't lift it because it's so big. And I, I think Peter is caught in this tragic snowball of sin, but what's propelling that snowball forward to get bigger and bigger? I think it's fear. 
fear of the unknown, you know, not knowing what's in store for Jesus or the last three years of, of his discipleship under Jesus. Fear of being seen as an accomplice. You know, we've been reading for a while that they've been trying to trap and kill Jesus for some time, and now they have him. And so he's probably thinking, they're looking for the rest of those guys that hung out with him. There's also fear of discovery, of the crowd finding out who Peter really is and who he's been hanging out with. And so this teeny, tiny justifiable sin grew, and its roots have taken hold, and it's corrupted and mutated now into fear. But what does the Bible tell us believers about fear? The Bible says 365 times, in some way or another, do not be afraid. It's because God doesn't want you to be controlled like Peter was in fear. Paul says in, in Ephesians 5, we are to be filled with the Spirit alone. When we are in the Spirit, we fear God, not man. Proverbs 15.33 says it like this. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. So if you've missed the first exit, here's, here's the next one on down the road. Live humbly before the Lord. Live humbly. Because when we're humble, we are now free to admit wrongdoing. Do you see that? Like Peter couldn't do this. He was too fearful to claim allegiance to Christ, to stand tall next to Jesus. And so he missed this exit. But if we can put on his rightful, or sorry, put God on his rightful throne in our lives, submit to God's authority with the healthy, awe-inspiring fear of God and live in humility, then our past sins have no power over us because we're not trying to be something we're not. We openly admit that we need Christ's grace every day. And we can exit the freeway of sin with humility and turn the car around. But Peter, he just kept on driving. And he blew past this exit. And so the story continues. Verse 59. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. Now, again, we need to go to John's gospel to give us a little bit more detail, mainly about this other guy who questions Peter. John says that, that this guy is a servant of the high priest. But not just that, this was a relative of Malchus, which was the guy who Peter tried to, in a few verses back, cut his head off. Uh-oh. Like, he's in it deep now. Peter is approached by this guy who knows what he is. Look what he says. For he too is a Galilean. They, they had a different way of talking. It would be like if, if somebody from the deep south was here and started talking to us, we'd be like, you're not from here, huh? And so that's what he Listen to how he talks. Peter doesn't belong here. He must be with Jesus. And this guy also potentially knows, potentially, what Peter has done. Like, I think you're that, aren't you the same guy who tried to kill my relative like a few hours ago? Have you ever been caught with your hand in the cookie jar? Like either real jar or a metaphorical one? It's, it's terrifying. 
especially when it's regarding something serious, when it jeopardizes your relationship with someone you're close to, or it ruins your reputation and your witness, or, or both. You shake to your very core when you're found out, and, and you feel completely exposed and vulnerable. And do you know what, what tends to flood your very mind and soul in that moment? Shame. Shame is defined as this uncomfortable feeling of guilt and humiliation that arises from sin and failure. Peter is exposed. And because of that, his shame is overwhelmingly powerful. And that's why I think Matthew recounts in this moment that Peter starts, it says he starts shouting and cursing. I don't know this man. You see, when shame takes over, we'll do anything to get rid of it. We'll lie to get the questions to stop. We'll get loud to get those prying eyes to just avert their gaze. We'll get angry and shout at the other person and try to make ourselves big so that they back down. We're, we're like a wounded animal backed into a corner. Peter's sin, which was left unchecked and turned to fear, now mutates even further and turns to shame. And, and it seems to me that Peter's just grasping at straws to be free, to get rid of this humiliation that he's feeling, to escape this perilous situation that he shouldn't have been in in the first place. And so he says, verse 60, man, I, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. See, on the sinful road, your final destination will always be despair and brokenness. There is no other stop. That, that road is going to promise the world. You know, no, no, drive down this road because that's where happiness is. That's where all the money is. That's where fame is. That's where power is. That's where love is. And he, all the lusts of the world, they're going to promise that. But in the end, the destination is always despair and brokenness. And so what's the exit here? How do you navigate this shame and break that downward cycle? You abide in truth. That's the third exit. Jesus said this in John 8, 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that sounds pretty easy, right? Just read your Bibles, guys. That's what it is. That's the answer. Just read your Bibles and all is well. But that's not quite what Jesus said. He didn't say just read my word. He said abide in my word which means to dwell in, to stay with, to continue in. The picture we're seeing is that we would draw on God as if he were a spring of living water, that we would be nourished from him every day as if he was the bread of life, because he is. You know, shame attacks us by, by, that our identity is shaped by the grace of God. And though that, that might have been what we've done, Shame says, you'll never be good enough. But God's word reminds us that he is enough. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Everything shame and guilt and our sins tell us about who we are 
God's word refutes and fills our hearts with truth. And that's why we here at OCC, we strive and tell you guys, hey, be praying all the time. Study God's word every day. We don't want you to just check off the box like, yep, I'm a good Christian because I read my Bible today. It's, it's a call for you to draw nearer to Christ because the Bible is life. It's not just a good book with good stories and helpful tips. Abide in God's word every day so that you can be wise and silence shame in your hearts. And then when it starts to creep up and you start to feel all these emotions that are pulling you away from God, you'll be wise enough to spot the exit. And you'll have strength in Christ to take it. Now there's one last exit that, that, you know, on this road that we need to talk about before we close. Excuse me. And that's the one that you need to take when you've missed all the other exits. When that road has ran its course and you're at the end of your rope. Some of you guys might, might be there right now. Way back when, I don't, I don't know when, you may not even know when, you've let sin in your life and you just really kind of never kept it in check. And now you've come to a point that you're just kind of too afraid to bring it to the light. You're afraid of being found out, of, of being discovered by your friends or your family or your church. And so you just kind of keep it to yourself. And the pull of your sin is so strong that you can't seem to make the exit. You see the signs, but you just can't quite crank the wheel. Shame has set in and it's dug its claws in deep and now you're at this final destination of despair and brokenness. And you feel maybe worthless. Maybe you feel unworthy, unlovable. Maybe you feel alone. And you're just, you're too far gone. You are right now where Peter is at the end of this passage. But can I, can I give you some hope? Here's some truth. You are never too far from God. Even at your lowest point, God has made a way. There is still an exit. And that exit is this. Trust in God's grace. Because God's grace is sufficient. You know, the lies that sin and shame peddle is that you need to cleanse yourself up. You, you, need, to, you need to do a better job before you can even talk to God, before God will even look at you. That's, that's really kind of dumb, sorry to say. Because that's like telling mud to clean itself. God is the one who breaks every chain. God is the one who leaves the 99 to find the one. God is the one who shines the light in the darkness. God is the one who is close to the brokenhearted, who gives strength to the powerless and rest to the weary. All you need to do is cry out to God. And in his mercy and his grace and his infinite wisdom, he will restore you where you need to be and set you on the right path. You are never too far gone for God to work a mighty work in you and use you for your good and his glory because nothing is impossible with God. There's no situation that God's like, I'm not going to, no, I can't do that one. Think about it like this. Peter denied knowing Jesus three times while Jesus was in earshot 
of Peter denying him. And this is after having spent years with Jesus, personally witnessing the glory of Christ. Peter was one of those guys on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Jesus glowing. He witnessed healings and miracles firsthand. He learned under his guidance and direction. He studied with him. I'm sure he had so many questions. And, and Jesus was just, just on. It was perfect answers every time. He ate meals with Jesus. He joked and laughed, and laughed with Jesus. He knew what made Jesus laugh. He knew what made Jesus cry. And if anyone would be too far gone for Jesus to redeem, Peter would be a really good candidate, right? But he wasn't. It's not because Peter is, you know, anything special. It's because God's grace is that good. And God not only redeemed Peter from that final destination, but he used Peter in a mighty way. We know that from church history. So to close, let me give you some encouragement from this man himself who was at that last road. This is out of 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. This is the words of Peter. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, I, I love this, the God of all grace, not the God of a little bit of grace, or the God of almost or most of grace, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself will himself. God will do this. He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have made a way. God, that this, this world is going to take us away from you. And God, we are, we are like simple sheep. But thank God that you are the good shepherd. God, that you have made a way, that you've, you've given us exits. And even if we get all the way to the end, God, you are still there. I pray for my friends here today that might be at that last road or at the end of the road. I'm just struggling. I pray, God, that they would see that in you is hope, in you is forgiveness. And God, I pray that you would give them strength to reach out and talk to a friend, talk to a pastor, to be prayed over. God, to bring, for all of us, to bring ourselves into the light, to function in the light because we are yours. And I pray as we do that, God, your Holy Spirit would guide us God, that we would see you better. We would be better images of your son.
We love you and we thank you so much for your word and your truth. And I pray it would shape us as we abide in you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care, and God bless.